Welcome back to the study of the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter six, right in the very heart of the Sermon on the Mount. I love that, that Jesus, in the middle of this great sermon, talks about prayer. I believe that it's right in the middle because prayer is central for everything that we do. And we've really been enjoying some great texts. Today we're going to look at Jesus' words, your kingdom come, your will be done. I believe these are prayers of both petition and also praying intercessory prayers for other people. Petition means that you're asking God to let his kingdom come in your life, let his will be done in your life. And then when you intercede for other people, you're saying, Lord, I want your will and your kingdom to come in their lives and in these situations as well. That's what we're gonna talk about today. Don't you want the will of God? Don't you just want to surrender and say, God, whatever you want in my life, your will, be done. That's what we're talking about today, and it's going to be an exciting lesson. God bless you as you participate today. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored. Honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us, deliver us from the evil one. So after the first petition that addresses the matter of adoration, the second set of petitions shift us from adoration to authority. The first matter of prayer really is God's name, God's glory, God's honor. But God's glory and honor are directly tied to the matter of authority. God's name is to be hallowed because God is in charge. That's the fundamental truth of the kingdom of God. It is not some geopolitical kingdom as we understand it. It is rule. And the truth is that God has established his throne in the heavens, says the psalmist, and his kingdom rules over all. Prayer, in an effective sense, is meaningless if God is not in charge. Some say, if God is sovereign, why, why pray? The answer to that question is a question. If God is not sovereign, why pray? If God is not able to fix things, to change situations, to meet needs, why pray? We begin in our prayers after honoring God's name by recognizing that God rules over heaven and earth. This helps us not only to pray about our personal matters, but to pray about issues of poverty, and sin, and racism, and corruption, and trouble in the world around us. Really tie this petition to Paul's instruction in 1 Timothy, that first and foremost, the saints ought to be praying in the church for kings and all those in authority. We can pray trusting that our prayers can affect the highest halls of authority because the one to whom we pray is the one who reigns over heaven and earth. When I think the thought or pray the phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done, two things immediately occur. First of all, the Bible from beginning to end is about God's kingdom. Uh, he is king. He's the king of kings. And his kingdom is his rule and reign, both in our lives and on the earth. And one day, ultimately, on the new earth. So throughout the Old Testament, we see these examples of his coming kingdom 
Then when Jesus, of course, is born, his kingdom is present here among us. And so all of his teaching, almost all the parables are about the kingdom of God. And, and the kingdom is about everything. I mean, he is the king. He is sovereign Lord of lords, and he's ruler of everything. So his kingdom is coming in its final form when he returns to set up his visible kingdom, a new heaven and new earth. But in this interim time, in a sense, in the time we live now and we pray this phrase, we need to understand that his kingdom is already present among those who follow him. So Jesus tells us that we ought to pray and ask the Lord for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done. In trying to understand what that means, one of the questions that we ought to be asking is, well, what is the kingdom of God? What, what then does it really mean for the kingdom of God to come? Well, the kingdom of God is not necessarily a physical time and place per se. The kingdom of God is that realm in which the rule and the reign of God is lovingly embraced and followed. So the kingdom comes in our lives when we are surrendered to the will of God, when we're dying each day to our own desires like Jesus told us to. That's, we're embracing the kingdom of God in our own lives when we do that. But we're also praying not only that the kingdom would, would come and the will of God would be done, we're not only asking that for our own lives, in our own hearts, in our own decisions, we're asking that for the world. So as we're asking that, one of the ways that we respond to faith is that we actually pursue the kingdom of God. So we pray for the kingdom of God to come and for the will of God to be done, and then we act in faith by doing the things that are actually tangible examples of the rule and the reign of God. It means we do simple things like caring for our neighbors. Uh, it means that we are in the word every day so that we can actually know what the will of God is in order to walk in it. It means that we care deeply for people who can't care for themselves, for the widows, for orphans, for the unborn. This is a means by which we are actually backing up our prayers with action that show that we actually believe that God is going to do what we ask him to do when we pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. When Jesus challenges the disciples, pray your kingdom come, your will be done, we're thinking as Western American Christians that that's when the second coming of Christ happens, right? We start praying, Jesus, come back, save the world, redeem your saints, and that's a part of it. But when you understand how the Hebrew language works, it really makes this phrase come alive. For example, what I think Jesus is saying here is what's called in Hebrew a parallelism. Uh, and basically, a parallelism are two lines that are synonymous with one another. So it's basically saying the same thing. So it's kind of like in the Old Testament when it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet or a light unto my path. It's the same exact thing. Basically, the light is shining so that you can see. I think what Jesus is saying here is not just pray for me to come back, which is part of it. What he's saying is this, and this is really changing the way we think about prayer. What he says is, when the will of God is done, when you obey me, when you serve me, when you follow me, the kingdom comes. And so in a sense, we as New Testament, New Covenant believers, when we pray for Jesus, your will be done in my life, the kingdom comes through us. And so we become ambassadors to him. It's kind of like a, a cheerleader uh, with a football team. If you imagine cheerleaders kind of cheering the football team on, they get the crowd to cheer the football team on. That's in a sense what we're doing. When we're praying, Jesus, your will be done in our life, in a sense, we're cheering God on. God, make your kingdom manifest in our life. We're gonna submit to you as subjects to a king, and when we submit to you as subjects, the will of God, the kingdom of God is displayed in our life for all to see. 
trying to understand what it means to pray, may God's kingdom come and may God's will be done. We have to understand that the kingdom of God represents the ruling presence of Jesus, his reigning power all over the universe. And so when we are asking for the kingdom of God to come in situations of life, then we're asking that the ruling presence of Jesus that already exists would exist in this very moment, for this very season, for this specific time in my life. It is so important when we understand what even Jesus talked about, about us having the keys of the kingdom. And the keys of the kingdom would be the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those keys unlock the power to understanding the ruling presence of Jesus all over this world. And so when we petition the Lord, when we cry out to God, when we talk to God, and there are many times we'll do this, and sometimes we do it out of, out of rote or out of knowing what the scripture says, and we may not understand what it is. But I believe personally that it's understanding the ruling presence of Jesus taking over in a situation. And there is never a situation where we do not need the ruling presence of Jesus to take place. It's, it's personal, your personal relationship uh, with Jesus Christ through the blood that he shed for you to redeem you, to adopt you into God's family. But it's also for the purpose of you and I becoming a conduit, being ambassadors for Christ to bring others to know him. So the grace we live is the grace we display. And when people see us living in that grace and we verbalize that grace, it really does uh, open an opportunity for them to think, well, that could happen to me too. When we say thy will be done, your will be done, we're saying that even when things don't work out the way that I think they're supposed to, I'm still safe and secure because I'm trusting that I'm resting in the hands of a, of a good, good father. And so the two of them together, um, your kingdom come and your will be done, are going to um, put you in the right posture of both petitioning in prayer as well as submission in prayer. Um, kingdom, you know, does that mean that, that, are we talking personal? Are we talking, my, it, the answer is all the above. I mean, what Jesus died to bring was the kingdom, and the kingdom is peace, it is shalom. When I'm seeing the kingdom come in my kid's life, it means that they are walking with Jesus and they're glorifying him. When the kingdom comes in my marriage, it means that my wife and I are loving each other the way that Jesus loves us. Um, I am praying for the inbreaking of the kingdom in every possible way, and I'm trusting that the goodwill of the Heavenly Father supersedes my will, and that sometimes the way God shows love for me is by giving me what um, I would have asked for if I knew what He knew. Your kingdom come is, is both global and personal to me. The other day, I had the hardest day. We had flown back from Haiti. I was sick as a dog. Then the dog had gotten sick on my new rug. It was just a rough day. And praying, oh, Lord, your kingdom come, to me reminded me, you know what? This isn't all there is. This day, this really hard day, is in the context of him redeeming all things. This is just this tiny point on redemptive narrative. And so for me, it's about today, it's about my bad days, it's also about my great days to remember that this is all part of this grander, amazing narrative of him making all things new, but it's also about global tumult. You know, I watch CNN or I read the news and go, oh, Jesus, come quickly. 
we desperately need mercy. The, the world is crying out in birth pains, desperate for your redemption. So to me, it's both. It's both and to say your kingdom come. I need his kingdom come in my life today. I need to remember this isn't all there is. I'm just an alien and a stranger here, especially when I'm wearing Spanx and I'm having a bad hair day. Um, more importantly, to look at the context of God's absolute goodness, that he is good and he does good even when life is hard, that this isn't all there is in light of trauma and hardship. So I think it's a both and God's kingdom coming. I think the kingdom is about the world and it's about us, but mostly I think it's about us. The kingdom expands on the kind of people that are in the kingdom. And uh, you know, when we're praying for the kingdom of God to come, we are really asking God to make us instruments in a partnership with other people that are praying these same prayers to multiply the kingdom. What we've narrowed prayer down to is, Lord, bless my church, bless my family, bless my choir, bless my Sunday school class, and that is not kingdom-minded. We've also narrowed it down to, we never pray for the church across the street. We never pray for the other pastors in town. We never pray for the other churches, God to bless them. We've so narrowed prayer down to, we want God to bless our church, that we think that we're in competition with the other churches in town that are all preaching the name of Jesus, that all believe that salvation is in the name of Christ, but we think they're our competition. And they're not our competition. They're a part of building the kingdom. And until we get that mentality, we won't know how to cooperate. We won't know how to partner together. The sad thing is the only time we ever think kingdom is in tragedies. When a tragedy hits, a storm, a natural disaster, a school shooting, then all of a sudden we start thinking kingdom. Oh, the churches need to come together. The prayer of Jesus is you should already be together so that when the tragedies come, your kingdom is expanded in a greater way because we're already working together for the kingdom, not for our agenda, not for our name on some program, but so that the kingdom of God is expanded. When I am asking the Lord in prayer to allow his kingdom to come in my life on earth as it is in heaven, I'm saying, you're king. So consequently, I'm submitting to his will, whatever that may be. That means I take whatever my will was, whatever I thought I wanted God to do in this particular situation, and I offer it to him as I offer myself as a living sacrifice. And that means I'm a burnt offering. I put everything on the altar. I hold absolutely nothing back. And the burnt offering was completely consumed. <laughs> so I'm saying, Lord, I offer it all to you. And I really do only want your will. Sometimes it's difficult for us to understand or discern God's will because it is so different from what we think we want in the natural. But I've lived long enough to know, as I look back, that what God willed and what God brought about was the best not only for me, but to bring glory and honor to him and to help me grow in my relationship with him as well. You know, the theme uh, kingdom of God is very, very prevalent in the gospels. And uh, there's a lot of confusion about that. Some people would argue that the kingdom is a futuristic thing uh, totally and that we are longing for that because there's no kingdom present now. Uh, there are others on the other hand who say, well, the kingdom is here and even some would even say it's here in all of its fullness. Uh, and we're not to necessarily look for anything more uh, in the days ahead. I think both of those extremes are wrong. Uh, the kingdom is present, but it's also not yet. In fact, theologians love to speak of the kingdom as present, but not yet. It's here because the king has come. 
uh, and the king has inaugurated his kingdom. But for the full glory and manifestation of that kingdom, we still hope uh, and we still pray. So we're in essence asking God to bring to fruition and to its fullness what we already enjoy. In fact, there's a song that when I was a little boy that we uh, would sing regularly that I think captures it really well. Uh, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. So the kingdom is already here right now, and yet what we have now is a foretaste of the ultimate glory that will be ours when Christ comes again and establishes his eternal kingdom. When I think about the kingdom of God, especially as it is in heaven, I think of perfection, I think of um, where there's, there's no suffering, there's no evil, and, and where we have the favor and the blessing and the power and the goodness of God. And so we oftentimes, we get excited about that. We pray for that kingdom. Uh, but with the kingdom comes the king. And it, I can tell you there have been so many times in my life where I have wanted God's kingdom to come, but my hands have been so tightly clenched where I didn't want the king of that kingdom to change my plans or to redirect or where he was asking me to offer something up in worship or to lay something down that I desperately wanted to cling to. And I remember um, very specifically one time in particular where it was a career dream and it was just dying. And I just wept and I wanted, in my prayer, I wanted God as part of his kingdom to change and fix this for me. But instead he wanted me to surrender to him the king. And it reminds me of what uh, Jesus talks about in uh, John's gospel where he says, if you love me, you will obey me. And we can't ask or even demand the things of the kingdom if we're not obeying and surrendered to the king. You know, prayer is not something we just do. It's something that gives us a greater footsteps in the path of the Lord. So we pray so that we can live things out. We're not, we, we can't have a, uh, a fork in the road where we go, well, I pray on this day and then I do whatever I want on that day. It's not that we're to pray and then be disobedient. And actually in 1 Peter chapter 3, it talks about husbands in particular. And it says, treat your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers will not be hindered. So that draws a tie with our obedience and the hindering of our prayers. Now, how God operates with hindered prayers and all that, that's, I don't know. That's his sovereign way of doing what he does. We're all disobedient at some level. But we want our prayer life to give us greater obedience, not greater hypocrisy. Because what happens when we're praying and we're not living it, it's confusing. It's hypocritical. It's confusing to us. Even in our own hearts, we're like, ah, I want to. It's confusing to other people. They look and they hear these prayers and they don't, well, what's the deal? They're not really living it. It's kind of like the Pharisees in the gospel. They pray these grand prayers on the city street corners so that everybody would hear them, but everybody's like, but those guys aren't even living it. So it's very important that we connect our obedience and our prayers together so that our prayers are helping us to live things out. When we feel tempted to not live it out, what do we do? We pray. Say, Lord, keep me from this. The Lord's prayer even, you know, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. So. He's praying and giving us an example of prayer that when we get tempted to not live it out, pray, and then we're going to be able to live it out. And those two things go hand in hand, prayer and obedience, click together so that we get to know the Lord better, our lives are more usable to Him, and there's no hypocrisy in those.